Hey, what's up, everybody? My name's MJ, and you're listening to the MTG in Quarantine podcast. As usual, I'd like to give a quick shout out before we begin to my local game store, Guardian Games. You can find Guardian Games on the web at ggportland.com. I'd like to utilize this opportunity to give a huge shout out and thank you to all the awesome people who supported me over at patreon.com slash MTG in quarantine. So, huge thank you to Mr. Big Benz, Anomaly, Draco Lucian, Neo Royal, Nick S, Infamous Fridge, Frugal Brutal, and Jen of the Filthy MTG Casuals for supporting the show. If you'd like to help support the show and help me make more awesome content, head on over to patreon.com slash mtgandquarantine for more information. Today's episode of the podcast is going to be talking about one of the biggest boogeymen of the EDH, or mostly in the casual EDH format, and that is everyone's favorite, Stacks. And uh, again, don't run away. This is going to be a really good episode, I promise. So please do not close your browser. Please do not turn off the podcast. I promise you, promise you, this is going to be a good episode. And you're going to learn a lot from this. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce the Master of Stacks and member of Casually Competitive, Adam. Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Uh, yeah, my name's Adam, uh, also known as Sliverboy on most social media platforms like Discord and Twitter. And I am here to talk about the the type of deck that I play the most of in all of my CDH games, which is stacks. So I hope I don't scare people away with some of these uh, crazy cards. I hope I hope I make them sound pretty funky and fun. Well, you know, if they've listened this far already, I think they're interested. So we should probably be fine, right? Ah, hopefully we hooked them. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, Adam, again, before we get started here, how about you give the casually competitive plug here real quick in case people are interested in seeing a great group of guys playing cdh and just having a lot of fun oh yeah yeah you can find uh me and my friends we made youtube videos and we have a bunch of twitch vods on casually competitive mtg on youtube and twitch we got a couple years worth of videos that we did up there so if you need any cdh content we have it a lot of really good editing that makes it really easy for new people to come in and it does a lot of explaining for the stack and everything is going on in the turn so it's super easy to follow so if you're trying to get into cdh I don't like to like show myself. It feels weird, but I would say that we are a good place to start because we do a really good job explaining and making sure you know exactly what's going on. Definitely, definitely. And I can personally vouch for Casually Competitive. I've been binging a lot of their videos lately because I personally, being, obviously, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I have recently started to dip my toe in the water of the CDH uh, side of things. And I really find that their videos are extremely helpful in not only understanding the stack, especially when it starts going five, six, seven cards deep sometimes, and then with Flusterstorm ends up like 15 copies deep, whatever. But uh, just it's, it's really fun gameplay. You get to see a lot of different strategies, a lot of different commanders, and it's just in easily digestible form. You can kind of see where things are going. And then uh, e even if you're not really overly experienced like I am, you can start seeing where the where the combo lines are coming out, especially when they're called out. So, yeah, it's great stuff. I highly recommend you can find them on YouTube. All right. So, Adam, so you before the show, we talked about the three different kinds of stacks, or at least the kind of the three main tenets of stacks. And we're going to go through in this episode and talk about each one of the three, talk about some of the cards that are typically used in the usual CDH meta, and then just kind of bring it all around to just talk about stacks as a viable uh, piece of the format, especially in CDH. Obviously, we have talked about casual magic, not necessarily being the right place i mean i i don't want to say it like it's the wrong place but we kind of all have this assumption that a lot of people are really salty when it comes to stacks and more casual games because it involves the resource denial etc cetera, etc cetera. but in cdh there's really no problem with it it's a very viable strategy you can definitely win with stacks decks as, as you've proven time and again here and it just it works because you are taking resources out of your opponent's hands and you're really slowing them down and yeah so Today's episode is really just talking about the main forms of stacks, the main kinds of stacks, and just really trying to debunk some of the myths about stacks in EDH, and especially in CDH, for those who are interested in learning a little bit more about this particular archetype. Sound good? Sounds good to me. All right. So let's get to the first piece of your outline about stacks. What did you write down as kind of your first tenant of stacks? 
Yeah, so the, the first one I got is I have usually how I define stacks in three different types, usually depending on the colors, is the first one is mana denial and taxation, which is like your Thalia and Ristic study effects where you're forcing or incentivizing people to waste extra mana to do things. And the mana denial part is things like Oof and Blood Moon, like Collector Oof, which uh, will shut down artifacts and make it harder for people to cast things, or it'll shut down their non-basic lands by taking away the amount of colors that they can produce with their lands and really limit to them to what they're doing. And uh, the second one is Spell Denial, which is becoming a lot more popular in CDH lately, and it's mainly focused on rule of law type effects, which only let people play one spell per turn, so it's a lot of the original card rule of law, and new things like Archon of Valor's Reach, which are all these spells that usually for fairly cheap between the one and three mana range will force everybody to only cast one spell per turn, which really shuts off a lot of the really explosive things that CDH normally does with the mana crypts and the dock sides and the ad nauseums. It really brings things down to like a very fair level when you break it down. And then the third one I usually go by is card denial, which I have a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, practice with in a lot of my stacks decks, which it revolves usually around the black cards, which have a lot of discard base effects. So things like oppression, where whenever a player casts a spell, they have to discard a card. A lot of things like that, where you're trying to just strip cards from people's hands, because if they don't have anything to cast, then things like rule of law doesn't even matter because they can't even cast a single spell. So those are usually like the uh, the three main things that I go off of when I'm trying to build a deck depending on the colors, just kind of figure out which style that you're going for because they'll include different spells and different game plans for each one. Definitely, definitely. So let's get started on your first category there. What Again, you did go over some of the main cards there, but in your experience, how does denying people the resources um, in that particular way really matter in stacks? How does that kind of match up against uh, some of the more popular CDH decks that you're going to see? And uh, why would you particularly try to stop people from gaining resources? Let's start there. Right. So usually the main form of this uh, with taxing effects is, like I mentioned before, Thalia. And there's older cards like Glow Rider, which is basically just a three-mana version of Thalia. And a lot of things like this really impact CEDH more because they run a lot more fast mana, a lot of your Chrome Moxes and Mana Vaults and Soul Rings. And they're trying to play super low to the ground, especially for the Ad Nauseam decks, which are very popular right now, trying to have their average CMC usually between like the the one to one and a half range. So they're trying to get as much as they can out of each mana that they can spend. And when you start taxing one or two mana onto every single spell they cast, it really starts to bog them down and really affect the pace that they can play the game. Definitely. Then, Seems like something that would uh, be really good against, again, as you mentioned, Ad Nas decks, as well as the ever-present Storm decks, too, if they don't have infinite mana. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it really hurts. And a lot of times it can affect the infinite mana because a lot of these effects, they're not just uh, like a singular thing. You can just keep stacking them. The more that you get, you can just keep putting them on top of each other. And once people are paying two or three extra mana, sometimes a lot of their infinite mana abilities, like the main one being... Um, dramatic reversal and Isochron. That's a very classic infinite mana outlet uh, generator. And sometimes that just won't work anymore because you'll have to put so much mana into it that you don't start netting your mana anymore. And you can really slow them down and force them to commit a lot more to the board and spend a lot more time trying to generate their resources than they can actually afford to. Definitely, then, definitely. And the the other part of the the taxing is mana denial because it's another form of just impacting the way that people spend their mana and the main ones there that you usually see are blood moon blood moon back to basics are like very classic for this where blood moon takes everybody's non-basics and turns them just into mountains which for higher color decks which are very popular in cdh they're usually playing all of their fetch lands and shock lands and original duels and Gaius Cradles and all this, and once you give them exclusively red mana, they run out of a lot of things to do very fast. So that can be really impactful on a lot of high-colored decks, and a lot of the decks that run them are one or two-color decks that already run red, and they might be very heavy in red, so this might not even affect them at all, but it'll 
give them multiple turns to be able to kind of turn the corner and get ahead of those very quick storm decks that rely on specific color pips in their their lands to actually do what they need to do yeah definitely uh i in, in the games i've seen and i again i haven't seen a ton of games but in the ones i have been able to really watch blood moon and uh, magus of the moon as a kind of a backup effect they they effectively do the same thing just on a creature body yeah those can really wreck three to five color decks whereas monocolor two colors you mentioned are not nearly as hampered by that because you're probably gonna be playing more basics right so you're probably going to be able to get around that a little bit more versus if you're trying to worry about having every shock, uh, every one of the OG duels, or even or even just like a random fetch land that you're running in your four or five color deck. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Some some decks nowadays too. Uh, a lot of people have been picking up cards like Path to Exile now because so many four and five color decks that are becoming extremely popular in CDH for their speed and card diversity. They don't even run basics anymore they'll get their their 30 lands from having their 10 fetches, 10 shocks, 10 duels. And if you do something like a Blood Moon to them, then the only thing they could ever have is red mana. And they have zero options to get out of that besides their mana dorks or mana rocks, which also get shut down by a lot of the mana denial stacks like Collector Oof that I mentioned before that can shut down all those artifacts. And now they really have no options to get out. Dang, that that is devious, but I, I can definitely see why you enjoy playing this sort of denial. It really punishes players for, you know, having greedy mana bases. I know that's a big thing in the CDH community, and yeah, that that sounds like a good time for the Sax player. Oh, it is a it's a very fun way of playing CDH to to fight CEDH. It's definitely very it's very like anti-meta for whatever is going on. Definitely, definitely. All right, so uh, let's move on to your second tenant there. How would you necessarily define that? And wh again, what are some of the cards that you think define the second style of stacks you typically play? Yeah, so the second one I usually go by is uh, Spell Denial style of stacks. This is usually very heavily played in white-based stacks because it's built heavily around Rule of Law. And Rule of Law just says that each player can't cast more than one spell per turn which like i mentioned before with all these five color and four color and heavy ad nauseas and crazy turbo decks they usually want to cast their entire deck worth of spells in one turn so when you limit them to one they really have to try to figure out what they can do and for the most part decks that include these rule of law and like slow play style effects they have higher card quality where they'll have these more splashier bigger board affecting cards or a lot of the the fast decks they just have the cheapest most efficient cards they can get but they're only cheap and efficient when you can string together multiple of them per turn so if i if i draw a card and i can only play one spell but i play this four or five drop that really like messes up the board and the turbo player they draw their card and there's a spell pierce yeah it's a, it's a big difference because you made sure that that one spell per turn was a lot more effective on your side than their side Sure, and you're also able to turn off some of the counter wars as well with the rule of law style effect out there because, you know, if someone uses one of the, let's say, free counter spells, there's a bunch of them in CDH. If someone uses force, and ne force of negation or force of will, pack of negation, geez, I'm already getting those mixed up. There's just so many. But yeah, if, some, if someone uh, force of wills one of your spells, well, all, you can't cast anything, but they can't cast anything afterwards. So if someone comes in with, let's say, a deflecting SWAT, well, all of a sudden, that resolves, um, unless anyone has any other sorts of effects to bounce that. So, yeah, it, it definitely brings a lot more parity to the board, helps you, because you're going to be building around this specifically. You're looking for that sort of effect, so your deck can hang with the other decks pretty well, because you're able to do what you need to do, while also forcing everybody to play exactly how you want them to play. So you have that control. Stacks is kind of like uh, just a different style of control deck. Yeah, it's a it's very much like control where it plays to the board instead of to the stack. Where normal control, you'll pay two mana for your counter spell to stop their spell. But if you play a rule of law, and after the game that person says, "Oh, I would have cast four spells that turn," essentially you just countered three of those spells for that turn cycle because they weren't able to cast any of them. But you're doing it all in permanent based actions instead of holding up all your mana to try to interact at specific times. You just put one thing on the board and say try to fight through it 
and see if they can do it. Sure. So uh, since we're talking about rule of law specifically, I know you did mention a few other cards earlier. Do you have some other favorites that you think uh, should be mentioned here at this point in case people are interested in learning more about this type of effect? Yeah, I will say that uh, most of them are in the white color identity. So you have the normal rule of law. There is deafening silence, which is a really good cheap one. It's only one white mana. And it makes it so that each player can only cast one non-creature spell each turn, which for most uh, turbo CEDH decks, they'll only have maybe five to ten creatures. So this by itself essentially is a rule of law against them because 90% of their deck is going to be that non-creature spell that they can only cast once per turn. And there's also things like uh, Arcane Laboratory, which is a little bit out of the wheelhouse, but it's back from when magic was uh, very old and experimenting with the color wheel. So this is actually uh, exactly rule of law, but just in blue. So most blue decks don't do the whole one spell per turn thing. They're usually more stormy. But if you can fit it into your wheelhouse, which I've been trying out with uh, Jeskai decks recently, because I think they work very well under these effects, playing some splashy things, then that adds another one that you can do. And then there are some creature-based ones like... Uh, Aethersworn Canonist, which is a two-mana artifact creature, which only makes uh, each player cast one non-artifact spell per turn. So for a lot of turbo decks, you know, they might be able to play all their mana rocks, but they usually have to string together a lot of, like, ad nauseums and other rituals to really, like, pull their win together, so you're still able to drag them down and stop them from doing that big, splashy, one-turn storm win. Definitely, definitely. I'm um, I'm looking over my own uh, homebrew CDH deck here, and yeah, I am running both Rule of Law and Deafening Silence in there because, again, when I'm running white and not blue, or you know, it doesn't really matter if I'm running blue, but I have to find ways to be able to try to stacks out the board a little bit to try to be able to advance my own game plan, and those two are great at just being able to force people to uh, to play at my speed, which, you know, my deck needs some time to get its combos online. So, yeah, just being able to keep people off my trail for a bit and keep them playing fair magic, again, where I'm going to say fair and scare quotes here, um, is, is really helpful for me. Yeah, rule of law type effects are very good if you think your deck isn't going to be one of those like turn three, turn four threat and a win style decks. Rule of laws are the best for really slowing down the game exactly to the speed that you want them to be because no matter what people do, they're casting one spell per turn. And if you start layering those effects, having two or three of them on the battlefield, now it's going to take multiple turn cycles if they try to remove them because they remove one and then the other two are sitting there like, nope, that's the only spell you can cast. You're going to have to wait till later to remove us. Mm-hmm. And it definitely stops uh, people tutoring for things. I mean, it, it, it forces them to tutor for something with, with the usual vampire. Well, I mean, vampire kind of gets around, but demonic tutor especially basically shuts that down for the most part. You get a card in your hand, but you can't do anything with it. So yeah, it slows yeah. down a lot of the uh, the sorcery speed tutors. A lot of just the that storm style thing where they try to just tutor and grab all their pieces and try to win on their turn. It it makes them really stretch their game plan out and give a lot more room for you to interact with them as they're trying to assemble all their pieces. Yeah, un unfortunately, uh, some of these won't stop Razaketh, but let's be honest, not many yeah. things can. <laughs> Oh, he, he does not care about many stacks at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's, that's the reason why if anyone out there is interested in, in looking at the CEDH deck database for ideas, you're going to be seeing a lot of Razaketh deck because, uh, you know, it just gets around this. So, yeah, stacks players don't necessarily like that. But on the other hand, it's just a really good card. So, yeah. Anyway, moving on to the third thing, which was hand disruption. I think... How, how would you necessarily describe hand disruption? And again, what are some of the cards that you think kind of emphasize or, you know, kind of are, are the very definitions of hand disruption in the CDH meta? Yeah, so th this is a, a very interesting one. This is a, a type of stacks that I've been in uh, for about three years since my beginning in CDH because I built uh, my first CDH deck out of a card called Nath of the Guilt Leaf, which is a five mana Golgari commander that says at the beginning of your upkeep you may have target opponent discard a card at random and whenever an opponent discards a card you make a one one elf and that seemed really interesting to me because i liked tribal things back then i was very 
like I was like super casual compared to what I see now. I must have been an extremely casual player. But uh, tribal was always like a big thing for me, and I thought elves were super cool. And the discard effect was something that I didn't see a lot because I think Wizards found out that people really don't like it when you make them discard their cards, so you don't see that very often. So uh, they have a lot of very interesting things you can do, and in CDH, like I like we've been talking about, they really care about all the those super efficient pieces that they have. If you make them discard one thing, it's like taking the one link out of the chain and the whole thing can fall apart. So if you do things that can like pick apart their hand, you can really just impact a game way more than even just saying you can only cast one spell because you just don't give them a single spell to cast. So a lot of the the big ones that come into play nowadays that I've seen pop into some other decks more recently are, uh, while it's expensive, uh, there's a card called Chains of Mephistopheles, which I will uh, hopefully <laughs> give an explanation of because uh, you should need a, an entire book to tell you how to play this card. Please do but, so. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the, if, if, if you out there have seen Chains of Mephistopheles... Um, yeah sorry too long didn't read it's <laughs> it's it's a it's a mouthful yeah it's a magic card all right but uh it's a it's a two mana enchantment from way back in legends from uh, one of the first sets in magic and the the short of it is the way it works is every time any player draws a card if it's your draw step that's perfectly fine the enchantment doesn't care but if you're trying to draw extra cards like maybe you're playing thrasios and you're activating a bunch to try to draw more cards and put them in your hand or you're playing Chrom, another popular cdh commander and you have all these value engines that are drawing you cards uh this card says if you're drawing any extra cards after your draw step you instead have to first discard a card before you can draw so it turns everything into rummaging and then if you don't have a card in your hand and you have that draw effect coming in it says that you're not allowed to draw that card and instead you have to mill that top card of your library so it really punishes cards cards like the Ristic Studies and the Mystic Remores and all these super efficient value engines that a lot of the combo decks play by forcing them to pitch cards in their hand first so they can't just build up this huge hand of value and interaction. They have to like choose the couple things that they're allowed to keep. So that is probably one of the, the crazier cards, mostly for the mana cost because it's two mana and it really hits like all the bells and whistles of what you're trying to do to stop a lot of those crazy speed combo decks sure sure uh obviously there's a reason why the card is ridiculously overcosted. um just in yeah. price <laughs> i mean uh if if you have to ask of the price tag of this amazing card um probably don't go looking to buy it it's it's insane i, I do not I, I love the card. It is one of my favorite cards ever. I remember seeing it when I first started playing Magic like eight years ago. Me and my friends saw it. We're like, we'll never own this card, but it's the coolest looking thing ever. Oh, it totally is. Totally. I mean, it, it's a really busted card. But yeah, unless you have like $2,000 sitting around, good luck finding yeah. <laughs> a, an actual copy of it for your deck. Yeah. Um, but then other cards in that uh, that sort of wheelhouse that aren't as crazy as that but uh another very close one is a card called oppression um and that is a three mana black enchantment this is whenever a player plays a spell they have to discard a card from their hand so it's another one of those things where that fast combo player is going to try to dump their hand play all their rituals all their fast mana but this is basically cutting their hand in half because they say for every card you're playing you have to get rid of one as well so you can't just build that perfect hand full of all your fast mana and interaction and combo pieces because you're only essentially getting half of that if you try to dump your entire hand so that one can also be really brutal if you stick that early in a game mm -hmm. and then a lot of uh a lot of discard things are pretty expensive a lot of uh a lot of those effects you know wizards probably figured that discarding cards is not fun so they didn't want it to be all these one and two mana effects but um as strange as it seems you can run some very targeted discard even though edh is a four player format so a lot of the times you don't do single target cards because it feels weird to go one for one with one person when you have other opponents but uh there has been a resurgence resurgence in playing cards like thought and inquisition of gozalek because mm -hmm. if you're in very low colors sometimes you just don't have a lot of options and if you see that combo player like 
maybe leaving all their mana up, not tapping down all the time, kind of just not really doing anything. You figure they're like piling up their hand with all those good cards. Sometimes thought seizing them and like taking that one card away that they needed could cripple their entire hand. So being able to really just affect their hand by not letting them have specific cards can still be really important. Yeah, I, I was just about to ask about Thoughtseize. Um, it seems like the kind of thing where, again, there are probably better options, but if you're running black, if you're looking for a way to disrupt someone for one black on an instant speed and two life, you, you can take a card out of someone's hand and you know nip, nip their strategy in the bud before they can do anything about it. Yeah, it's also very good if you yourself are trying to land, you know, another one of those crazy stacks pieces. Sometimes, especially if you play with certain groups of people a lot, you can kind of get a feel for if they have something. And uh, Thought Seize and stuff, because of the one mana of it, it's very good at saying, I have one mana, and I'm going to look at your hand and take that one piece of interaction you have. So either you counter this and maybe don't have anything for the rest of my hand I'm going to play, or I get to just take that thing that was going to stop me and then i get to play this other piece that is now going to you know put a damper on your parade yeah it's definitely a good piece of bait if nothing else to see if someone has a counter spell and is willing to let you see their hand yeah it very much acts like a silence in a way where you put it on the stack and you say you kind of have to deal with this because unless you have multiple sources of interaction and the mana to cast it this is going to take the one thing that you have so you have to answer this right now mm-hmm Definitely. So it can be it can be very effective at like if you time it correctly and hit the right people. Okay, so uh, Adam, when I've been looking over my own list here, I I'm wondering which one of those three tenants, and again, there are the kind of the resource denial, the taxing effects, spell denial, and hand denial. Uh, something like Eidolon of Rhetoric falls under. For those who don't know what Eidolon of Rhetoric is. It is a 1-4 enchantment creature, spirit, uh, costs 2 and white, and reads each player can't cast more. Oh, wait, actually, no. Sorry, I, I, I'm thinking of the other one, the, the one about the card draw. I'm, oh, yes. Uh, the, uh, oh, my God. Why am I forgetting? I, I think I always forget about that one, too. Uh, the idol, let's see, it's it's the, the of the spirit Labyrinth, of the right? Yeah, Spirit of the Labyrinth. Spirit of the Labyrinth, I, there a, I don't one, know why I forgot white. that, but yeah, that one. Yeah, I think it's one and a white. I, I think it's a 3-1, and it, it does have the interesting wording that not a lot of cards have where uh, each player can't draw more than one card per turn. Mm-hmm. So that, is, that is a very interesting card. A lot of the time, because of the way uh, commanders work, it can't be played because a lot of white decks are very like hungry for card draw, so they take anything they can get, and limiting themselves uh, can be a little rough. But I think if you can support that card, it is extremely strong because Timna is probably the number one played commander in CEDH, which uh, for people that don't know, it's a one white black for a 2-2 human and it has lifelink. And at your post-combat main phase, so after combat, you can pay uh, one life for each opponent you dealt damage to to draw a card. And so normally what that does, they just play a lot of uh, these Staxi cards we're talking about because they can just start punching people with all their Staxi creatures and drawing all these cards. And a card like Spirit of the Labyrinth can completely shut that down because now they don't get a single card from that Timna. And that, that happens a lot where you can play these and if they don't have a removal spell for it, now they, their whole commander is just shut down because that's the whole point of that commander is to swing in and get value. So you're just shutting down that commander and a bunch of other value engines. Mm-hmm. So would you say that that would be kind of like both resource denial and hand denial in a way? Because you're denying people the resources of the cards, but you're also sort of attacking their hand, not by forcing them to discard, but by forcing them to forego additional cards in their hand. Yeah, I would say that fits pretty well in between each of them. Like how you said, you're uh, you're stopping them from drawing, so you're not like making them lose cards they already had but you're making them lose the opportunity of getting more cards that they should be able to get from how their cards say because this is kind of overwriting what their cards are able to do and you're also making it so that they lose resources because they are missing out on drawing maybe that land drop that they missed or they're not getting that mana dork that they were hoping to get or other big creatures that they were hoping to kind of keep the ball rolling so you're really stifling like the speed that they can play at 
Mm-hmm. So, um, and I have a couple more cards, actually. So it's now turned from the three main points about stacks into it into kind of the game show stacks or no stacks. <laughs> and I, actually, I did want to ask you about a couple of these cards that I know are played a lot in CDH. I see them all the time. And I'm just curious, from your opinion, would you consider these to be stacks? And if so, which one of the three tenants or pillars would you throw these under? So... Um, again, we just talked about Spirit of the Labyrinth and very similar cards like that. Obviously, I'm not going to ask about Hole Breacher because that is now banned, but... Yeah, we don't talk about that guy anymore. But that reminds me of another card that is not banned. Costs one more, adds black, and that card is Notion Thief. And if you know anything about Notion Thief, you can flash it in to be able to draw cards instead of another player who is attempting to draw cards on the stack. And this is very common to be able to try to to stop someone from being able to draw a whole bunch of cards. And um, yeah, it, it's just a very effective way to be able to slow someone's tempo. So, Adam, would you consider Notion Thief to be stacks or no stacks? Uh, personally, the way that I view stacks, I would very much view it as a stacks piece because that one card will then kind of uh, hold the table hostage saying that anything that in your deck says draw a card on it now erases that text from it and instead makes the notion thief player draw the card so they're basically stealing all the value from your deck taking your like stripping your resources stripping your uh your cards so that it's card denial mixed with the the resource denial very similar to the spirit of the labyrinth all right and in, again, in that same vein, I'm going to go to another very popular card. It's a sorcery costing one black black. I know you've heard of this, Adam. It is Praetor's Grasp. Oh, and, yeah, uh, yep. And what it reads is search target opponent's library for a card and exile it face down. Then that player shuffles his or her library. You may look at and play that card for as long as it remains exiled. So, uh, again, we did a few minutes ago just talk about how something even like Thoughtseize can take a card out of someone's hand to, or at least bait them into admitting that they have some sort of interaction to stop you from looking at their hand. So, by that metric, I would say Praetor's Grasp is kind of a stacks piece, because if you know what one of your opponents is trying to do, you can go searching through their library for said card and get rid of it, and even potentially use it for yourself. But... Again, you're never quite sure what's in their hand. Sometimes that piece you're looking for, if you're, if you're trying to use this defensively, I would say, to get rid of someone's combo piece, there could be some problems if it's not in their library. Again, if you're trying to find something like a Mana Crypt, though, it works great. So, Adam, same question. Would you consider Praetor's Grasp to be kind of a stacks piece or not a stacks piece? Yeah, that is a tough question. You hit me with my own knowledge with the whole Thoughtseize thing. I was kind of leaning on the no stacks, but... I'm just looking know. through my own deck list. And it's like, <laughs> you know, this seems like the perfect kind of card to ask you about. Because at least personally to me, it seems like it's kind of one of that uh, Shades of Grey uh, card. Is that it kind of depends on the context, but I wanted to hear your thoughts about it. Yeah, I would say you put it good like that where it depends on the context because it's essentially a tutor, but you're tutoring from someone else's library. So instead of vampiric tutoring a style effect and taking one of your own cards and adding it to your hand, you're taking a card out of someone else's library. So you are technically denying them the resource of they cannot ever get that card for the rest of that game. And so I think, you know, you could consider it like a, a light stacks piece because you could, if there are certain decks that run um, like one card combos, uh, you could take that single card. If you see it in there when you're searching, you could take that and say, well, you don't have a combo anymore. So it's kind of like you're playing a stacks piece that says they're not allowed to play that combo. Mm -hmm. So it could be in certain situations. I think you could treat Praetor's Grasp as a stacks piece. Yeah, I mean, or if nothing else, you could at least uh, steal someone's Adnaws and stop them from being able to play it too. Yeah, it, it can be some very powerful... Uh, card denial in that aspect if people like adnaz decks they really build their deck specifically around the single card of adnaz so if you take that card you really kind of mess up their whole game plan because now what is what is their deck to all this fast mana and all these rituals they're not really going into anything spectacular anymore because all their cards were geared toward getting to the ad nauseum and then you took that away from them mm-hmm 
And a third card that I'm going to ask, and I'm very sure this is a stacks card, but again, I'm, I'm more curious about which pillar you would uh, throw this under. And that card is everyone's favorite tutor denier, Avon Mind Sensor. Uh, for those who don't know, Avon Mind Sensor, it's a 2-1 bird wizard, causing two and a white, has flash, flying, and if an opponent would search a library, that player searches the top four cards of that library instead. I feel like with Spirit of the Labyrinth, this is definitely a stacks piece, but uh, again, you're kind of denying resources, you're kind of denying spells, and you're kind of denying uh, hand resources. So I feel like this could actually fall under all three, and I wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think that one can vary. It can kind of stretch itself between all the different effects, because like you said, you're kind of hitting all the checkboxes there, because you're denying them the uh, the card that they would tutor, Sometimes they can find the thing they were going to tutor, but sometimes they might crack their fetch land and now they don't find something in the top, so they're down that fetch land and then they just don't get anything out of it. So you're stealing, you might be stealing mana that they have and you're taking away uh, tutors that they might want to cast in the future. They could have something in their hand that they're just not able to cast anymore because they know that there's a low chance that they'll actually find that specific card that they want. So you're kind of limiting the amount of spells they can cast because they might be cutting things out of their hand. And yeah, it kind of just, it kind of just hits all the boxes for the most part. Definitely, definitely. And uh, one more that's just kind of a, I, I don't want to necessarily say a personal favorite, but uh, again, made uh, very popular by a, a friend of the show, Charles Mono White Guy. I'm going to ask you, Adam, stacks or no stacks for everyone's favorite, Elish Norned Grand Cenobite. Oh, this is a this is also a personal favorite. I do love a good Elish Norn, <laughs> and uh, I would say against the right decks, it is definitely a stacks. If you're a creature deck, if you got thirty or forty creatures in your deck, uh, the way CDH works, very low to the ground, very mana efficient, and high effectiveness cards, Elish Norn will mostly kill ninety percent of the cards that you'll see come out of a creature deck because everything's just so low toughness because those are those like one and two drops that have big bursty effects like all your mana dorks and your two drop value creatures like your dark confidants this will just tear all of those to pieces so against creature decks this could be shutting off you know half of their non-land permanents that they could be playing in that deck so it could be a very heavy stacks piece against them but against combo decks and things that maybe have five to ten creatures they might have their couple little value creatures and their you know hull breacher type cards they could have those where it could kill them but for the most part a very large portion of their deck won't actually be bothered by that elish norn so it very much depends on the situation you're in definitely and again i hope for everyone out there um really the takeaway message from this is that uh, some of these stacks pieces don't necessarily have to be stacks. They could be kind of more of a mid-range or tempo card in some cases, but again, it always kind of depends on the context, what you're trying to do, and what your opponents are trying to do for some of these cards to be stacks or to be no stacks. So, uh, Adam, I want to thank you for taking the time to be on stacks or no stacks. Again, we have some lovely parting gifts for you. Um, but anyway, um, so again, I digress, but um, now that we've talked about some of these cards here, I want to finish the show off by asking you another really important question that I'm sure a lot of my listeners are curious about, and that is, if you're someone new to CDH and you say, hey, Adam makes, makes stack sound really awesome, how do I start playing this? What are some of your kind of go-to pieces of advice for someone interested in trying to play stacks who really doesn't know exactly what they want to do, but know that that's the kind of strategy that they want to start with or, you know, give it a try, if nothing else? All right, whew, that, is a, that is a good question. I would say uh, definitely do a lot of research first because stacks takes a lot of practice to play correctly because you need to know uh exactly the decks you're going against and what kind of win conditions they have because you could be thinking like oh i'm going to play this collector oof because two of my opponents have a bunch of artifacts and you play it and then the next person maybe they reanimate that razaketh we were talking about before and mm -hmm. they win the game because the two people that you shut off their artifacts didn't have the mana to actually play their counter spells and make because a lot of stacks decks they don't play a lot of counter interaction 
because stacks usually interrupt that stuff a lot. So you might be a typical term people use is king making. So you really have to understand the position you're in at the table a lot of the time. And sometimes you can't play your stacks the turn you want to play them because you might know that depending on cards people have revealed or cards they've played that if you play this card, then it could lose you the game because other people will be unable to react to the board for you. Because sometimes you have to really lean into those other decks that have counter spells because you don't actually have that ability yourself. So you have to really know the table and who you're playing with and against. So it's uh, it's very difficult at times. But I would also recommend that uh, if you look into a stacks deck, I would recommend definitely having green because green is a very simple color to work with when it comes with stacks because a lot of stacks like we talked about is a lot of mana denial either messing with your lands or messing with how many spells you can cast or how much mana you can spend on things and green makes it very easy to fix your mana maybe under a blood moon you could cast your cultivate or use your mana dorks to fix those colors you have and it also gives you a lot more give when you're limiting people's mana because green is so good at producing it so it makes it a lot easier if people blow up your stuff or if you're just starting out to really like ramp into it and it feels very casual when you're dropping all these mana dorks and these land ramp spells and just these big bombs but it is a good like segue from playing more casually into a more competitive meta so i think definitely playing green is like a big help in the beginning because it's a very forgiving color when it comes to stacks. So uh, something like Sithis Harvest Hand off the CDH deck database would be a pretty solid place to start? Yeah, I think I think that would be a very solid one. It, it mixes a lot of uh, casual things because en Enchantress is, from what I remember, I don't know if it still is, but I remember that being a very popular casual type deck list where you oh, just definitely is. Play, yeah, play all your uh, Enchantress effects, draw all the cards, do all the crazy stuff. And uh, it's very similar to how the CDH deck works. You just play a little lower to the ground, like most CDH deck. A lot, it's a lot slimmed down, but you still have a lot of those, you know, Enchantress's presence and all those different cards. Where you just playing a card, drawing another card, playing another card, drawing another card. And you have all these really fun value engines, but you also get good colors like the white for all the rule of laws that can also really slow down those other crazy decks that want to go a little bit too fast. Mm -hmm. I, I do have a casual Sithis deck. I don't play it often enough, but it is fun to play when I have it. So, yeah, th this definitely sounds like something that's easy to play. Everything's right on the commander there in a very easy to understand, easy to digest format. He's going to be playing a lot of enchantments, gaining life, drawing cards, and um, hopefully not getting hit by too many spirits of the labyrinth there. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and honestly, I think what you're saying here, Adam, is CDH is really hard. You know, it's, yeah, yeah, it's got yeah, a learning yeah. curve to it. I've spent years of losing too many games that I want to not talk about ever again, but <laughs> you know, it just it just happens. Sometimes you'll you'll play twenty games in a month and you'll lose, you know, fifteen of the games. But it just sometimes it just happens like that. Sometimes people just have those crazy opening hands, and sometimes you just have to like me. I'm still learning how to mulligan a little better. That's a big thing in CDH and especially in stacks. Is you got to learn how to mullet you can't just take those oh this is okay i guess i'll take this hand of seven cards sometimes you need to go down and be like okay now i have a piece in my hand that can stop the crazy deck at the table that wants to win before i even get to play the game yeah that that's what happened to me in my appearance over on moderately anonymous uh, last month dan's great definitely <laughs> check definitely oh. check out his content over at modern on mtg uh, but yeah, I kept some really sketchy opening hands. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really like, sketchy. Yeah, very crazy sometimes with the decks he brings on. Yeah, it was it, it was a fun time though. But uh, yeah, I I think I need to learn how to you know mulligan a little more aggressively in CDH. But that comes with time too. Oh, that that is a big a big thing with the whole learning curve of learning the decks you're playing against. That is another one I will say for new people is practice mulliganing a lot because a lot of the times you know it feels bad not having seven cards in your hand at the opening but you know it's it's a lot better having five cards if it means that the adnos player didn't win in two turns because sometimes at seven you'll you know land pass and the other person goes all right i infinite combo and win because you didn't actually have that piece to stop them in the beginning sure sure 
yeah, it's it's definitely a lot different than casual. It's again, it's a huge learning curve, but if you're interested in learning more about it, honestly, all I can recommend is just watch a bunch of gameplay, watch casually competitive, um, and uh, other creators in that same vein doing CDH stuff, having a lot of fun, and making it easily digestible. Also. Check out the CEDH decklist database. There's a whole bunch of really good meta decks on there, as well as some interesting spicy new stuff in the Brewer's Corner. And honestly, I still have fun kind of looking at the meme decks on there. there. There's some fun stuff there, too, if you're just interested in doing that. And uh, again, you can find that at cedh-decklist-database.com. Um, I can leave a link in the description for this website. It's great. It's where I found my first deck. Um, I don't really talk about that because I'm, you know, combos make my head spin. So, uh, yeah, but it's a great place to really get started and kind of get a feel for what's out there, what most people are playing. And then it's a good starting place for finding your first deck. Maybe like Sith of Stacks, if you're interested in doing that. For sure. And, uh, again, before we end here, is there any other, uh, are there any decks you're looking at trying to build right now that you just really want to talk about and share with the listeners out there? Uh, yeah, I, I can I can take a second to talk about uh, how I I have a Ishai Jessica deck that I built when Jessica was originally uh, previewed for Commander Legends a little over a year ago, and I thought this is finally the time for Ishai to shine. Which for people who don't know, it's a, a four mana. 1-1 one, one flyer that has partner and whenever an opponent casts a spell you put a plus one plus one counter on it and jessica is a three mana red planeswalker who uh, has a zero ability that says you can choose a creature and it will deal triple damage to your opponents until your next turn so the big thing is before ishai would have to you know do the full 21 commander damage but now you can take someone out by having it as a seven power creature because it will triple to 21 so I used to have this as a heavy combo deck, and I'm not really the greatest at combos, but I figured, oh, it's a blue deck. It must just have to play combos. <laughs> and for for about a year, I was honestly losing a lot. Like sometimes I would get people, and most of the time it was just getting people with commander damage. And I'm, I was thinking, why am I comboing so much if I'm just beating people with commander damage all the time? So I ended up taking all the combos out. And I recently added in a bunch of these stacks, things we were talking about today, like Deafening Silences and Arcane Laboratory and Rule of Law. And uh, I found a very fun combo uh, about a week ago that I'm I'm trying now where a card that goes really well with all these Rule of Law effects is a card called Possibility Storm. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> a, a card that a lot of people called me a casual for putting in my deck because it is a very casual card for where you see it played normally oh yeah and for people at home it's a, it's quite a mouthful but what it says it's a five mana red enchantment where when a player casts a spell from their hand uh when it goes on the stack you instead flip cards from the top of your library till you hit a card that shares the same card type so if you cast an instant you flip till you hit another instant then you cast that new spell without paying its mana cost and put the original spell and all the cards you flipped on the bottom and so what it does with rule of law is because you can only cast one spell a turn if anybody casts a spell from their hand it'll flip into a second one but nobody can actually cast it so basically the whole table is stuck to only casting commanders and i found out that no commander really races a gigantic bird that can deal like 50 commander damage to you very fast so that is that is my new uh journey into stacks is playing a stacks deck that has a lot of blue so it's very strange having all the the counter spells and interaction that you would expect from a combo deck while still playing these rule of laws and Dranith magistrates that really slow down the actual combo decks yeah uh as soon as you mentioned ishai and jessica i was going to ask you if nathan put you up to that oh no no uh, he, uh, <laughs> i actually was one of the first people to talk to him about this because he kind of headlined the deck online but i had been like building and playing it for like a, a month or two before he really like put it into the twitter verse so uh, i used to talk to him a lot about this and then i recently uh started talking to uh callahan from the mind sculptors mm-hmm. and that was what got me into a lot of this more stacksy heavy stuff because they've played a lot more like white based stacks i usually had always stuck to a lot of like hand disruption based stacks before so he really 
understood more of this like rule of law strategy and was really teaching me a lot of stuff and so far it's it's been very good in the way that cdh is played now with all the fast decks uh the rule of law type spells have been working wonders so i would say that's a definitely a good place to start if you're getting into cdh uh anytime soon because it, it's a really good counter to the main way that the the format is played yep yep and I hope that all the listeners out there have learned a valuable lesson that context is extremely important when it comes to stacks. I suppose you could even say that ad nauseum is a stacks card in its own way because you're preventing your opponents from winning the game. So Very there's true. that. <laughs> all right, Adam, this was so much fun. I really enjoyed our discussion about stacks. I learned a few things and it was great having you on. Yeah, it was a blast. Thanks for having me. No problem. Again, if people are interested in finding you playing CDH on Casually Competitive, where can they find those videos? Yes, you can find all the Casually Competitive videos on Casually Competitive MTG on YouTube. And uh, we have a Casually Competitive MTG uh, Twitch where you can watch a lot of VODs from our older videos. If you want to watch from start to finish instead of all the edited stuff, you can catch a lot of like the in-between like banter and it shows a lot of the like just the, the talk that you have during CDH because a lot of people think it's just, you know, cutthroat to win the game. But a lot of the time there's still a lot of politics and a lot of like interpersonal like talking that you can do in the game to really influence it, especially with stacks because you affect the game so much that a lot of the time you're, you can hold them hostage, but you can also politic the way people treat your stacks and treat the people that are locked under it. So I would say don't think that CDH is just all go for the win, go for the throat kind of thing. There's still a lot of like casual ways you can deal with things by just talking to people and just kind of joking around and kind of like trying to influence the way they think about the cards you have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. And if you're interested in hearing any of the previous episodes I've had on CDH with some awesome guests such as Nathan, the Hermitrude, and Mab the Queen, you can go find those on any of the usual podcast outlets, that's Google, Apple, Spotify, Player FM, Rocket Cast, Pocket Cast, MTG Cast. There's so many, I can never remember all of them, but if it's a major podcast outlet, I'm probably on there. You can also find me on the Twitterverse at, at MTG in Quarantine. If you found happy looking Ulamog wearing a pair of headphones, remember to shuffle it back in your library and you found the right place. And I'd like to utilize this opportunity to give another huge shout out and thank you to all the awesome people who've supported me over at patreon.com slash MTG in quarantine. So another huge shout out and thank you for Mr. Big Benz, Anomaly, Draco Lucian, Neo Royal, Nick S, Infamous Fridge, Frugal Brutal, and Jen of the Filthy MTG Casuals for supporting the show. If you'd like to help support the show and help me make more awesome content, head on over to patreon.com slash mtgandquarantine for more information. And I very much hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the MTG and Quarantine podcast. My name's MJ. Have a great rest of your day, everybody.